Okay, let's take our Bibles this evening and turn to Micah. Micah and chapter 3 this evening. Micah chapter 3 and we'll begin reading from verse 1. It says, And I said, Hear, I pray you, O heads of Jacob, and you princes of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know judgment, who hate the good and love the evil, who pluck off their skin from off them and their flesh from off their bones, who also eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them, and they break their bones and chop them in pieces, as for the pot and as flesh within the cauldron. Then shall they cry unto the Lord, but he will not hear them. He will even hide his face from them at that time, as they have behaved themselves ill in their doings. Thus saith the Lord concerning the prophets, that make my people err, uh, that bite with their teeth and cry peace. He that putteth a knot into their mouths, they even prepare war against him. Therefore night shall be unto you, that you shall not have a vision. And it shall be dark unto you, that you shall not divine. And the sun shall go down over the prophets, and the day shall be dark over them. Then shall the seers be ashamed, and the diviners confounded, yea, they shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer of God. But truly I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord, and of judgment, and of might, to declare unto Jacob his transgression, and to Israel his sin. Hear this, I pray you, ye heads of the house of Jacob, and ye princes of the house of Israel, that abhor judgment, and pervert all equity. Uh, they build up Zion with uh, blood, and Jerusalem with iniquity. The heads thereof judge for reward, and the princes thereof teach for hire, and the prophets thereof divine for money. Yet will, they lean, uh, yet will they lean upon the Lord and say, Is not the Lord among us? None evil can come upon us. Therefore shall Zion for your sake be ploughed as a field, and Jerusalem shall become heaps, and the mountain of the house as, as the high places of the forest. Let's open with a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this evening. We thank you, Lord, for this time that we can come and gather around your word once again. And Lord, we pray as we continue this evening in the book of Micah that, Lord, you would uh, give us wisdom and guidance now, that, Lord, you would empower me through the, the Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, just uh, give me the words to say. And, Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts tonight through your word, that we might learn of you, and, and through your word we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, with chapter 3, um, we begin now the second division of the book. We said, if you remember in the introduction to the book, we said that there's three major divisions or three messages uh, within the book of Micah and chapters 1 and 2 was the first message and now with chapter 3 we begin the second message to the people and we said that this message in chapters 3 through to 5 was a message of promise Now, as you read chapter 3 it seems to be anything but a message of promise and the reason is that Micah is simply leading into the main point of his message which is in chapters 4 and 5 He's leading into the promise of the Messiah and his kingdom. Just read chapter 4, verse 1. It says, But in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and, and people shall flow unto it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of, God, of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways and we will walk in his paths for the law shall go forth of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem and it continues on 
And so in chapter 4, we have the last days, and we have Christ in his kingdom ruling from Jerusalem. We have the temple restored, and, and so that's what's going to happen in chapter 4. He's given us this wonderful promise of the Messiah and his kingdom. But before he gets there, Micah in chapter 3 addresses the current leadership. So he's about to promise concerning the future leadership under the Messiah. But before he gets there, he addresses the present leadership of the nation. And he rebukes them for their failure in their responsibility. And he begins his message here by calling upon the people to hear what God has to say. He says in verse 1, And I said, Hear, I pray you, O you heads of Jacob, and you prince of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know judgment? He says, here, I pray you. He calls upon them to listen up. He calls for their attention. It's almost exactly the same wording as back in chapter 1 and verse 2. He says, hear, all ye people. Okay, in both places, he calls upon them to hear or to listen up. And if we were to go to chapter 6, when he begins his third message, it's the same thing. He says, hear, or listen up. He's calling upon them to listen to the word of the Lord. Effectively, he's saying, listen up. God is speaking and what I'm about to say is important. You know, if you like, it reminds us of the Lord's words in Matthew 11, verse 15, where he says, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Okay, that's what Micah is doing here. He's saying, listen up, make your ears attentive and listen to what God has to say. God's servant is speaking and the people need to listen. They need to pay attention. And in particular here, those who needed to pay attention or to listen up were the leadership of the nation of Israel. And the 12 verses here in chapter 3 are divided equally, if you like, into three paragraphs. In verses 1 to 4, he addresses the civil authorities. In verses 5 to 8, he addresses the prophets. And then verses 9 to 12, he speaks to all the leaders collectively. Now, seemingly, I want us to consider these three paragraphs and Micah's rebuke to the leaders of Israel. Notice firstly, if you would, that Micah rebukes the civil authorities or the civil rulers. In verse 1, it says, And I said, Here I pray you, O heads of Jacob and your princes of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know judgment? Micah begins his message here by first of all rebuking the civil authorities. He identifies them as being the heads of Jacob and the princes of the house of Israel. Now, these were the, the judges, if you like. They were the magistrates. These are the ones who were, in, who were responsible for enforcing the law. Okay? They were the law keepers. They were the ones who people would come before for decisions concerning the law. They were the courts. These were the ones who were sitting in judgment over others. It says that at the end of verse 1 there, it says, Is it not for you to know judgment? You see, it was their responsibility to know judgment. In other words, to pass judgment to enforce the law. Now, these are the same ones who we saw last week were guilty of permitting the wealthy barons to get away with their sin, their wickedness. Chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Woe to them that devise iniquity and work evil upon their beds. When the morning is light, they practice it because it is in the power of their hands. Now, remember we said that the courts... And Israel would convene at the morning light. And so the whole idea there is that these men were not afraid of the courts. They were not afraid of conducting themselves in the open light in front of everyone. Why? Because the courts were supporting them. 
The courts were not rebuking them for their sin. They were permitting them to get away with their actions. And now here in chapter 3, Micah rebukes these men for not only allowing the rich to exploit the poor, but also for themselves doing it. Now, not only were they allowing others to get away with it, the rulers were guilty themselves of the same sin. They were guilty of exploiting others, of ripping others off for their own personal gain. Now, these leaders were supposed to uphold the law. That's what they were there for. They were the law keepers. They were supposed to protect the people. Now, as civil leaders, these men should have loved good and hateful. I mean, that's what someone who is a magistrate, someone who is in a court, they should love the law. They should love good, love what's right. But these men were the very opposite. It says in verse 2, who hate the good and love the evil. These men were the complete opposite. Instead of loving the law of God and loving good and enforcing what was good and true and what was right, they hated the good and instead supported evil. The point is that these men were completely corrupt. These men are morally bankrupt. These are wicked men who are enforcing the law, or not enforcing it, I should say. These are wicked men. In the second half of verse 2 and verse 3, Micah describes for us the actions of these men towards others. Look in verse 2 again. It says, Who hate the good and love the evil, who pluck off the skin from off them, and their flesh from off their bones who also eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them. And they break their bones and chop them in pieces, as for the pot and as flesh within the cauldron. You know, the description here of their actions is more, you know, uh, more reminiscent of a, of a ravenous beast tearing apart a, an animal or man, maybe a cannibal eating someone. I mean, that's what we've got a description of here. Okay, and it's a pretty graphic description that's given to us of these men's actions. You see, the point is that these civil leaders were supposed to be like shepherds protecting the flock. They were supposed to be like shepherds to God's people, protecting and looking after God's people. In chapter, 12, uh, chapter 2, verse 12, Micah actually describes the nation as a flock. He says in chapter 2, verse 12, I will surely assemble, O Jacob, all of thee, I will surely gather the remnant of Israel. I will put them together as the sheep of Bozrah, as the flock in the midst of their fold. They shall make great noise by reason of the multitude of men. Now, Micah himself here in chapter 2 describes Israel as a flock of sheep. And there he's talking about the future day when Christ will assemble the remnant. Christ will protect the remnant, protect the flock. Christ is the true shepherd who will take care of his people. But, you know, until the Messiah comes, until Christ comes, it was the leadership of Israel, the civil leaders' responsibility to be shepherds to the people. It was their responsibility to protect and care for God's flock, God's people. Just turn to Psalm 78. Psalm 78, and just read from verse 70. It says, He chose David also his servant and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the ewes, great with young, he brought him to feed Jacob his people and Israel his inheritance. 
So he fed them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. Now here we see David and it says that God chose him to be king. Why? To shepherd his people, to feed and care for his people. That was the purpose of the king. That was the purpose of the leaders within the land, to be shepherds to God's flock. You know, the point here in Micah is that these leaders were failing greatly in this responsibility. See, instead of caring for God's people, instead of protecting God's people, they were instead attacking the sheep, if you like. They were attacking the sheep. It says that they were skinning them alive. They were butchering them. They were chopping them up and making stew out of them. It's a very graphic description here in verses 2 and 3, and that's the whole point. Instead of being shepherds caring for the flock, they were slaughtering the flock. They were like a wild beast attacking the flock. Far from protecting God's people, they were butchering God's people. You see, Micah here is describing for us their cruel oppression of God's people, especially of the poor. They, like the rich barons, fed off the poor and they were only concerned with themselves. Let's turn over to Ezekiel chapter 34 because Ezekiel gives us a more descriptive and expansive description of the shepherds in Israel. Ezekiel chapter 34. <clears throat> Ezekiel 34 and verse 1. It says, And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God unto the shepherds. Woe be to the shepherds of Israel who do feed themselves. Shouldn't the shepherds feed the flocks? Ye eat the fat, and ye clothe, and ye clothe you with, with the wool. Ye kill them that are fed. But ye feed not the flock. The diseased have ye not strengthened, neither have ye healed that which was sick. Neither have ye bound up that which was broken. Neither have ye brought again that which was driven away. Neither have ye sought that which was lost, but with force and with cruelty have ye ruled them. And they were scattered because there is no shepherd. And they became meat to all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through all the mountains and upon every high hill. Yea, my flock was scattered upon all the face of the earth. And none did search or seek after them. Therefore, ye shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, saith the Lord God, surely because my flock became a prey, and my flock became meat to every beast of the field, because there was no shepherd. Neither did my shepherds search for my flock, but the shepherds fed themselves and fed not my flock. Therefore, are ye shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds. And I will require my flock at their hand and cause them to cease from feeding the flock. Neither shall the shepherds feed themselves any more, for I will deliver my flock from their mouth, that they might be meat for them. Now Ezekiel gives us a more descriptive or expansion of, of effectively the same things what Mike is saying. The shepherds in Israel, the leaders in Israel were exploiting the people. They were feeding themselves, neglecting the people. They were preying upon the people, butchering them. The point that Ezekiel and the point that Micah is trying to make is that these leaders had grossly failed in their responsibility. Grossly failed in their responsibility as leaders and God had noticed it. It hadn't gone unnoticed before God. In verse 4 of chapter 3, Micah goes on to describe the coming judgment upon these men. It says in verse 4 of chapter 3, Then shall they cry unto the Lord, but he will not hear them. He will even hide his face from them at that time 
as they have behaved themselves ill in their doings. You know, the, Micah says here that there was a day coming when these men, they would cry unto God for help, cry unto God for mercy, but God would not hear them. God would not come to their aid. Now, as they had ignored the pleas of the people, God would ignore their plea. They were going to get what they deserved. They were going to get their just reward for their actions. God was going to allow them to suffer as they had made others suffer. God was going to hold them accountable for their actions. You know, the time of God's grace and long-suffering had passed and God's judgment was coming against these men. Not only does Micah here rebuke the civil authorities, but secondly, he rebukes the prophets. He rebukes the prophets. Look in verse 5. It says, Thus saith the Lord concerning the prophets, that make my people err, that bite with their teeth, and cry peace. And he that putteth not into their mouths, they even prepare war against him. Micah, secondly, here turns his attention to the prophets. Now, we already saw something of the prophets back in chapter 2. And in chapter 2, we saw that the, the people, the rich barons, had believed the message of the prophets. Okay? We, we saw that they were guilty of following the false teachers. Following the false teachers and becoming complacent in their sin, in their wickedness because of it. And now in chapter 3, Micah addresses the prophets directly. Okay? He address, addresses them for their role in all this. He condemns them for their sin. You know, Micah tells us here in verse 5 that they were guilty of making the people err. He says at the start of verse 4, Thus saith, verse 5, sorry, Thus saith the Lord concerning the prophets that make my people err. They were guilty of leading the people away from God. You now the prophets are supposed to be the spiritual leaders. But the prophets were leading the people further and further away from the law, uh, from the Lord. They were making the people to err. You know, just as it was the civil leaders' responsibility to uphold the law, it was the prophets' responsibility to lead the people spiritually. They both had a role to play. And the civil leaders, they were failing in their responsibility, and the prophets were just as guilty. They were guilty of encouraging the people in their sin, in their wickedness. Instead of declaring the truth, instead of declaring righteousness, they were encouraging sin and wickedness. And Micah tells us here in verse 5, as long as they were well provided for, they could be counted upon to prophesy of peace. Okay, it says in verse 5 there, Thus saith the Lord concerning the prophets that make my people err, that bite with their teeth and cry peace. The idea is that they had their mouth open wide and as long as they were being fed, as long as they were being well supplied, they prophesied peace. They told the people what they wanted to hear. But the end of verse 5 says, And he that putteth not into their mouths, they even prepared war against him. And so if someone didn't give them what they wanted, well, they turned against them. They prophesied calamity. They prophesied war to come upon that person. The point here is that their message was shaped to suit their own selfish desires. Okay, they were being bribed. It was designed to keep the people giving them what they wanted. That's really what they were doing. They were prophesying for money, prophesying for goods. 
Now, these prophets, like the barons and like the civil leaders, were really guilty of the same sin. When you boil it down, they were all guilty of covetousness. They were all guilty of materialism. They are all concerned only with themselves. And these prophets were no different. Now, the prophets saw their ministry as a means of lying in their own pro- pockets. And that's really all they were doing it for, to make money off the people, to fleece the people dry. Turn over to Jeremiah chapter 6. Jeremiah chapter 6. Jeremiah describes similar prophets in his day. Jeremiah 6 and verse 13. <clears throat> says, For from the least of them, even unto the greatest of them, every one is given to covetousness. And from the prophet, even under the, under the priest, every one dealeth falsely. They have uh, healed also the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. You know, Jeremiah describes a similar situation. The prophets were guilty of covetousness and they cried peace, peace. As long as they were being well provided for, they told the people what they wanted to hear. And this is exactly what was happening in Micah's day. These prophets were telling the people what they wanted to hear in return for their pockets being lined. And because of this sin, Micah tells us in verses 6 and 7 that God is going to deal with them. God is going to make it plain that they are frauds. Look in verse 6. It says, Therefore night shall be unto you, that you shall not have a vision, and it shall be dark unto you, that you shall not divine, and the sun shall go down over the prophets, and the day shall be dark over them. Then shall the seers be ashamed, and the diviners confounded. Yea, they shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer of God. Micah here tells us that God is going to make it plain to everyone. He's going to show everyone that these men are frauds. These men are liars. These men who claim to see the light, claim to have special revelation, would be shrouded in darkness and everyone would see them for what they are. Now they would cry unto the Lord, but God would not answer. The point is they would be found out. You know, and they would be found out as the Assyrians came down. They'd been crying, peace, peace. The Assyrians were going to come down. They were going to be found out. They were crying, peace, peace, and the Babylonians were going to come over to Judah. You see, the point is that God was going to make it plain that these men were liars. These men didn't know what God thought, didn't know what God was saying. These men were simply in it for themselves. And God was going to prove for all. In verse 8, Micah goes on to contrast himself with these false prophets. He says in verse 8, But truly I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord, and of judgment and of might, to declare unto Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. You see, Micah, in contrast to these false prophets, Micah was empowered by the Spirit. Micah was led by the Spirit. Micah's message was from God. You see, Micah told the people what God wanted them to hear, not what the people wanted to hear. That was the difference. The false prophets, they simply told the people what they wanted to hear, as long as they got everything in return. Micah refused to do anything but speak the truth. Micah fearlessly told the people their sin and told the people judgment is coming. He refused to speak anything but the truth. You know, even if that meant preaching a message the people didn't want to hear. 
which is what often happened with the prophets. They preached a message that people didn't want to hear. You know, the false prophets, on the other hand, they simply tickled the ears of the people. They simply told the people what they wanted to hear. Peace, peace, when there was no peace. They accepted bribes and they changed their message accordingly. And the point, once again, is that the prophets, the spiritual leaders in Israel, had failed God's people greatly. You know, they should have been leading the people in righteousness. They should have been taking the lead spiritually. But instead, they were encouraging the people in sin. And their failure, like the civil authorities, had not gone unnoticed. God had seen it. And God was going to show them to be liars before the people. Thirdly and lastly now, we see that Micah rebukes all the leaders collectively. He rebukes all the leaders collectively. Look in verse 9. <clears throat> says, Hear this, I pray ye, you ye heads of the house of Jacob, and princes of the house of Israel, that abhor judgment and pervert all equity. They build up Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. The heads thereof judge for reward, and the priests thereof teach for hire, and the prophets thereof divine for money. Yet will they lean upon the Lord and say, Is not the Lord among us? None evil can come upon us. Micah concludes here by rebuking all the leaders at once. This, this last few verses is for everybody. In verse 9, we read that he addresses the heads of Jacob and he addresses the prince of, prince of the house of Israel. And then in verse 11, he addresses the judges, the priests, the prophets. The point is, he's addressing everybody here, all at once. You know, Micah here accuses them of numerous sins, accuses them of committing injustice, he accuses them of distorting the truth, of murdering innocent people. He accuses them of taking bribes. He accuses them of all this wickedness. All at once, he lays it all before them. And while they were doing this, while they were engaged in all these wicked acts, all the while they professed to be serving the Lord. At the end of verse 11, it says, Yet will they lean upon the Lord and say, is not the Lord among us? None evil can come upon us. The point is that they were leaning upon the Lord in all this. They were claiming to be serving the Lord. See, the leadership in Israel, they were abusing their power in every possible way. Every way imaginable, these men were doing it. But while they were in it, they were at the same time claiming that God was with them, claiming that God had given them this authority and that they were doing God's will. Basically, they were claiming that God was blessing them in their sin. You know, they thought that they could have their sin, have their wickedness, and still somehow God would bless them. That somehow they could still please God. That's the whole point at the end of the verse where it says, Is not the Lord among us? None evil can come upon us. They said God's with us. Wickedness is not, you know, not going to change that. God's not going to judge us. No evil is going to come against us. They thought that because they were God's chosen people, it wouldn't matter what they did, even as the leadership in Israel. You know, what they showed was a complete ignorance of God's holy character. A complete ignorance of who God is and what God is like. A complete ignorance of God's covenant with them as his people. You know, they thought that simply because they were Jews, God would never allow evil to happen to them. You know, we're Jews. 
God's going to protect us. God's going to take care of us. God's going to bless us. They thought it didn't matter what they did. God wouldn't abandon them. You know, if the leadership in Israel had actually read God's covenant, if they'd actually read it and pondered upon it, they would have understood that God is a holy God who cannot stand sin. God is a holy God who cannot stand sin. And they would have understood that his blessings were dependent upon them obeying. His blessings were dependent upon them obeying the conditions of the covenant. And they would have understood if they disobeyed, God vowed to punish them. Just turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Read from verse 15. Chapter 30, verse 15. It says, See, I have set before thee this day life and good, and death and evil, in that I commanded thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments, statutes and his judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply. And the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. But if thine heart turn away, so that thou wilt not hear, but shalt be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them. I denounce unto you this day that ye shall surely perish, and that ye shall not prolong your days upon the land whither thou passest over Jordan to go to possess it. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life, that both thou and thy seed may live, that thou mayest love the Lord thy God, and thou mayest obey his voice, and that thou mayest cleave unto him, for he is thy life and the length of thy days, and that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. Yeah, here we have clearly outlined for us the covenant with the Lord. As long as they obeyed God, God would bless them. But if they disobeyed the Lord, God would take them from the land. God would punish them for their sin. This was the covenant God made with his people. It was dependent upon them obeying the covenants. Obey and he would bless, disobey and he would judge. But, you know, sadly, the leadership, the leadership in Micah's day thought they could have their sin and still have God bless. You know, their thinking was not unlike those described in Titus chapter 1. Just turn there, Titus. Titus chapter 1 and verse 16. It says they profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient and under every good work reprobate. Now Titus' description here of, the, of wicked people fits clearly these, these leaders. They professed to know God, but in their works they denied him. You know, they, they used their power to abuse him in every possible way. And yet all the while they claimed to know God, they claimed that God was with them. You know, Micah now in verse 12 declares what would be the result of this terrible leadership in Israel. Look in verse 12 of chapter, chapter, four, chapter 3. sorry. It says, Therefore shall Zion for your sake be ploughed as a field, and Jerusalem shall become heaps, and the mountain of the house as the high places of the forest. Now, Micah declares for us the result of this leadership. The result would be that Jerusalem and the temple would be laid waste, and they would be carried away. And of course, this happens ultimately under the Babylonians. The Babylonians come in, 
They carry the people away captive and the land is laid waste. Jerusalem is destroyed. The, the temple is destroyed. You know, God was going to allow his holy city, his holy temple to be destroyed because of the sins of the leadership of Israel. Because of the sins of the people. And in particular, as I said, it was because of the sins of the leadership the leadership of Israel. Go to Lamentations chapter 4. Lamentations chapter 4 and verse 12. Lamentations 4 and verse 12, it says, The kings of the earth and all the inhabitants of the world would not have believed that the adversary and the enemy should have entered into the gates of Jerusalem. For the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests that have shed the blood of the just in the midst of her. They have wandered as blind men in the streets. They have polluted themselves with blood so that they could not touch their garments. The point is it goes on, but the point is there, verse 13, it was for the sins of the prophets and the sins of the priests. Jeremiah, he says that the nation was defeated. Why? Because of the sins of the leadership. The sins of the leadership of Israel. And that's why Micah begins this second message by addressing the leadership. Because he understood that they were responsible for the condition the people were in. They were responsible. They were accountable before God. With their, with their position of leadership came responsibility and accountability before Almighty God. You know, even today, you know, with leadership comes responsibility. With leadership comes accountability before God. You know, as I was preparing this message this week, you know, the pastor and myself, this passage applies to us. You know, we are in a position of leadership within this church. We've been given a position of leading this church. We are to be shepherds, the Word of God says, to the flock, to take care of God's people, to lead God's people spiritually, to faithfully declare the truth. And, you know, God holds us accountable for this leadership. Go to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13 and verse 17. Hebrews 13 verse 17. It says, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. See, we have to give an account one day before the Lord. We are responsible. We are held accountable for our leadership. You know, this passage doesn't just apply to us as pastors. It certainly applies to us, yes. And I was convicted this week about making sure my leadership is all that God wants it to be. But this passage applies to all of us. You see, all of us to varying degrees have been given positions of leadership by God. And we are all going to be held accountable for the way in which we lead others. Now, as parents, we have the responsibility of leading our children, do we not? We have the responsibility of leading them in the truth, of bringing them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's our responsibility. And we are held accountable for our children, making sure that we are being the leaders we need to be, not just protecting them and caring for them, but spiritually as well. Now, as men, we saw this morning, as men, we've been given the responsibility of being leaders in the home, have been the head of the home. 
And Pastor said this morning, we are responsible and we are held accountable before God for our leadership. Making sure that our leadership, our decisions are in accordance with God's word. Now that we take the lead spiritually, that we bring our family to church, that we have family devotions, that we teach our kids to read God's word. God holds us accountable for our family. It's a great responsibility, man. And our leadership matters. Now, many of us also hold positions of leadership within ministry. Ministries of this church, you know, leaders at Sparks, Awana, Protein, Sunday School, whatever it might be. They're leadership roles. That's what they are. Leadership roles within the church. And, you know, we have a responsibility in those roles to be godly leaders, to be the leaders God wants us to be. You know, we must remember that our leadership will affect those who are following us. You know, in Israel, the leaders were held accountable. Why? Because they were accountable for the sin of the people. Same is true with us. We must do our job effectively because we are held accountable for our leadership. The point is that God has given us all to varying degrees positions of leadership. Someone is following all of us. Even if it's just a little child following an older brother or sister. Someone's looking up to us. Whether it's in the home or in the church, we have roles of leadership. And we must remember that we are accountable to God for that leadership. Now, our God is a holy God, and He expects us to be holy as He is holy in our leadership as well. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank You, Lord, for Your Word. Lord, we thank You, Lord, for this challenge this evening concerning leadership, Lord. Lord, the leaders in Israel, the, the civil leaders, the, the religious leaders, Lord, they failed the people miserably. They failed in their responsibilities, Lord. They led the people in sin. And Lord, they were held accountable for their actions. And Lord, I pray you help us all to realize, Lord, that we all, to varying degrees, have roles of leadership that you've given to us. And Lord, we pray that in those leadership roles, you help us, Lord, to be the godly leaders you want us to be to uphold your word, your truth. Lord, to be spiritual leaders, leading others in the truth of your word. Lord, so that when we are held accountable, Lord, we can give a good account of what we've done for you. May you bless us be closed in Jesus' name. Amen.